thanks for joining me for this week's episode. My name is Amanda Rowe, and today's episode will be based on a chapter from the devotional book Genesis, devotional thoughts and prayers from the book of beginnings. I once heard Mark Hamby, founder and president of Lamplighter Ministries, make a very interesting comment during an interview. He was sharing a personal testimony about how God had been teaching him to be more merciful with his family. He said, God's mercy is to a thousand generations, his judgments to the third and fourth. God's mercy outweighs his judgment a thousand to four. That statement really got me thinking. A thousand to four. The number 1,000 is 250 times greater than four. For some reason, I've often thought of God's judgment as weighing infinitely more than his mercy, not the other way around. As if judgment were somehow more attractive or satisfying than mercy. Doesn't it make sense that if God is perfectly just, then he must be commanding and fiercely dogmatic. He must be given to anger and wrath when appropriate, and certainly he must never allow any margin for error or mishap. His perfect sense of justice makes him a perfectly austere judge, right? Truthfully, yes, he is all that, but so much more. What if we were to multiply that perfectly just nature and overwhelm it with 250 times that amount in mercy? Maybe then we would start to get a glimpse of just how merciful God really is. He is perfectly just, and yet somehow... His mercy is greater still. Since God considered Abraham to be a trusted friend, he confided in him his plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a cry coming out of those cities that had reached God's ears. Was it a cry for vengeance on the injustice that was going on? The sin in those cities was rampant. The prophet Ezekiel further clarifies the sin of Sodom in Ezekiel 16.49. Behold, he says, this was the iniquity of thy sister, Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. The people of Sodom were arrogant, lazy, inhospitable, and had committed abominations before God. Ezekiel sixteen forty-seven through 49 we should also note that when Ezekiel said this, he was talking to the people of Israel, whom he refers to as the sister of Sodom, hundreds of years later, warning them about the destruction that was headed their way because they had become even more corrupted than Sodom. Ezekiel 16:47 and verse 52. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were violently lustful. In fact, the men of the city were so overtaken by perversion and lust that when God's two angels arrived in town one evening, the whole city rushed to Lot's door, hoping to get God's messengers. These people, even the youngest among them, were entirely given to wickedness. Lot had tried to protect God's messengers by opening his home to them, knowing the street was no place for strangers. Sure enough, after a nice feast for dinner that night, Lot's house was surrounded. The Bible explicitly states that all the people from every quarter of the city, old and young alike, had come out, eager to view 
or to take part in what was sure to be a horrific event. Genesis 19.4 If we look closely at this account in Genesis, God had never promised Abraham that he would rescue Lot from the destruction that was coming. The angels had been sent into the city to check it out and see if it really was as wicked as the cry seemed to indicate. That cry is mentioned three times, Genesis 18, 20 and 21, and chapter 19, verse 13. To prove how merciful God is, let's consider the fact that he would have spared both Sodom and Gomorrah and all the other little cities in the plain for the sake of a mere ten righteous citizens. Of course, Abraham probably had Lot in mind when he had made his request to the Lord. He was definitely hoping at least nine of Lot's family members and servants would be found righteous. Surely ten was not too many to ask. As it turns out, however, there appears to only have been one righteous man in Sodom, Lot. And considering that he had offered to throw his own daughters to the wolves that night in exchange for the guaranteed safety of his guests, even his righteousness is almost questionable. See Genesis 19.8. God's deal with Abraham was that all of the people would be spared for the sake of a minimum of ten righteous. God had been willing to spare them all. He wanted to be merciful. There was never any overt agreement about what God would do with Lot, however. God had never verbally agreed to save Lot or any of his family members. But because of his friend Abraham, he decided to make an effort to save them anyway. The in-laws that didn't want to leave, the wife that turned to look back, and the daughters that would later commit incest with their own father. God attempted to save all of these people from mass destruction simply because Abraham had asked him to consider it. Intercession does work. In Genesis 18.25, Abraham asks God a question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He was pleading with God not to slaughter the righteous with the wicked, and God agreed that he would not. He went so far as to agree to spare them all for the sake of ten. I'm convinced that God is more often than not willing to allow his mercy to exceed the punishment that justice rightly calls for, but I'm also glad that he is just and that he doesn't allow wickedness to reign forever unchecked. Lord, sometimes I think we view stories like this with a skewed perception of your impeccable character. We see only the wrath and destruction and forget what that vengeance was for. We have asked ourselves at times, what about the innocent people in those cities? Surely there must have been some. What about the children? But then, if you in your sovereign goodness chose death for them at that time, who's to say it wasn't mercy? You did look for innocent people, and there weren't any. Could it be that your judgment was merely a matter of putting an end to the ongoing destruction that the people were already bringing upon themselves? We have missed so much of your incredible mercy in stories like this one, Lord. You even spared the city of Zoar simply because Lot had requested to be allowed to live there instead of in the mountains like the angels had begged him to do. 
You spared an entire city for Lot. At the last minute, even after putting up with all of his other delays, he was so reluctant to leave. And then Lot changed his mind and still ended up in the mountains anyway, even after you spared Zoar for him. It makes my head spin, Lord, that you can afford to be so gracious with such undeserving people. Sometimes we can reflect the same sinfulness, Lord, the pride, the greed, the idleness, and the selfish inhospitality of Sodom and Gomorrah, the hypocritical character of righteous Lot, who barely escaped destruction after immersing himself in a wicked culture. We too are sinners, Lord, but thank you for saving us from eternal destruction in hell, the eternal fire and brimstone that all sin deserves. Thank you for hating sin and the destruction it brings to the people you love. When Jesus took our punishment on the cross, God, you proved beyond doubt for all eternity that you are willing to do exactly what it takes for mercy to have the final say. You went all the way for us. You covered the incriminating distance between us, Lord. You sacrificed yourself for us. It is we who would sometimes rather face your justice than embrace your mercy. Forgive us, Father, for ever assuming that you would prefer to deal with humanity in judgment rather than mercy. Thank you for revealing your true character to us in your word. Thank you for allowing us to see your heart and how you grieve at our waywardness and the destruction it brings. We praise you for your mercy today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Well, that's it for today. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next weekend for another devotional from the book of Genesis.